hey, this is Amy. I am the makeup department head for Stranger Things, and this is the Upside Down Podcast. Welcome to the Upside Down Podcast. This is Ash, and I'm here today with Amy L. Forsyth. You guys know her as the makeup department head on Stranger Things. And Amy, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Uh, the fans were super excited. Now, I know that you had a love of theater as a kid, mm-hmm. and you ended up going to school for that, mm-hmm. which led you to taking a lot of different jobs, ones that you got through Craigslist, adult entertainment things, indie mm-hmm. projects. Mm-hmm. And you got your gig on Stranger Things because you were Renona Writer's personal, which is amazing. I know what a personal is because my friend does that for Jimmy Fallon. Right. But can you explain it to the fans that might not know what that job is? Oh, you know Cindy? I do. Oh my God, I love Cindy. Yeah, she's from my hometown. Oh my God, that's amazing. Um, We just did a thing with them where all the kids were pretending to be wax figures. Yeah, so I wasn't Winona's personal before I came to the show. Oh, okay. No, I knew her from before and just randomly she asked for me. And I think the thing is, is that with our industry, when you're from LA or New York, you have a little bit of hesitation when you're asked to come to Atlanta. Not because Atlanta is anything other than what it is, but like yeah. you're, you're just like, well, what could film possibly be down there if you've never been here, you know? And so I think she just wanted to feel safe, and so she asked me to come. That's amazing. I think a lot of fans, they're so familiar with you as being a part of the Stranger Things family that they must think that you're Atlanta-based, but you're actually more of a nomad. So you'll work in LA, you'll work in New York, you'll work in Atlanta. Just If you're a part of the film industry, that's just part of the job. You go where the gigs are. Right. So when you came to Atlanta, what'd you think? At first, I didn't know, because I was, I was only doing Winona at first, so I had a lot of downtime, and I'm not used to having downtime. In New York or LA, I will fill that downtime with other work. Well, I'm not local here, so I can't work on anything else. Okay. So I started boxing. I started doing all these (laughs) things. And then when I became department head during season one, all of that changed. And I started to get to know the crew. I started to get to know the city a little bit more by going to more locations and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like by the end of season one, I really had a bigger appreciation of Atlanta. Is it super surreal to work with Winona Ryder? I'm sure, like me, you grew up watching her in movies. Mm -hmm. And now you're not only a colleague of her, but you guys are close friends. It is and it isn't. You know, I mean, you have those moments, definitely, especially at work when you're watching somebody perform and you're like, wow, this is... This is somebody I watched, and this is somebody I grew up with, you know what I mean? But as far as, you know, outside of that, it's just, you know, we're just such similar humans Mm -hmm. that she just feels like a sister. Yeah. um, If that makes any sense. So, I mean, when when those moments are happening, it's just like two people, you know, totally forget like who you're spending time with but um totally she seems lovely she's incredible I think I understand that because you know Tori and I had such a huge fascination with Stranger Things season one and then we met Catherine Dyer and she was agent Connie Frazier you know and now we're like super close friends with her and now it's just like oh Kat we love you so much and she's just a person and a friend but when it first began we were like oh hearts are fluttering right right right. (laughs) so excited well what's weird is the movie that I met Winona on was so tiny and I found out that they didn't have a makeup artist like three days before they started filming and I was like, my ex-boyfriend did sound. And so he was like, oh my God, I got this movie opportunity in New York. And I was like, oh, awesome. It's like, I probably already said no to it, which I did. And then I found out they were only three days away and they didn't have a makeup artist yet. And that really bothered me. I'm like, Winona Ryder deserves somebody that knows how to do her face justice. Yeah. You know, and make her feel safe. And then hopefully I did that. You know, I went to the production. I was like, can you, can you maybe reconsider? Maybe I'll take the job now. I just want to make sure she feels safe. And, and that's how we started our bond, you know. And it was just super small, super chill. I was in LA visiting a friend when I got the call from the Duffers saying, will you be our department head? And I literally just said to my friend, I was like, she's like, well, will you go back next season? I was like, well, if they asked me to be a department head, yeah. 
Like literally three minutes later, my phone rang. You know, when you started out, you worked on a lot of indie projects. And when you work on film, you never know if the job that you take is going to be something small that maybe you love and you have a passion for, and it turns out to be something huge, or it just turns out to be something small that you had a passion for that you loved. I've heard many people say that working on Stranger Things initially for season one felt like an, a very indie project. People were proud of what they were doing, but they didn't have any expectation for how it was gonna just hit the fandom. Absolutely, it's basically like indie is its own little beast. You know, um, we all, it's, it's passion. You you know, and it becomes a little family on set. And as far as Stranger Things goes, it's up there with any other indie movie that you might do where you all are so proud of the project and it doesn't matter if anyone else likes it, to be honest. Um, most yeah. of the indie jobs I love that I've done, my mom hates, you know what I mean? <laughs> She's just like, oh, and, and I'm like, I, I love it, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, and that's why I do what I do is to be proud of what I'm working on and, and to love what I'm doing. But yeah, like Stranger Things was a different thing where it's, you know, you're you're coming in every day. But well, the thing that happened on Stranger Things was halfway through the first season, the directors did a screening of the first two episodes for the crew. Oh, that's nice. And it was the coolest feeling because it's such a tiny show to us to see it on a big screen after work one day. And it really, like, the morale just boosted 110%. You know, we're like, whoa, this is awesome. Like, this is, like, beyond where we thought it would be. Yeah. We were like, what are we working on? And it just gave us all this new energy. And then when it came out, I was working on something in Utah. But, yeah, when I left Utah, I realized how big the show had gotten. And it was just insane. A lot of people have said that working on it, they felt like it was something special. It seems like with a lot of these shows, there's kid actors. I don't know. There's just something about the kids on this show. Like, their talent is so crazy. Like, I've seen tons of kids' movies with my daughter. But when I'm watching Stranger Things, I remember one of the running themes or one of the running jokes in this podcast is that my sister was living with me, and I had binged it all in one day. We were packing to move to Atlanta, and I said, you have to watch this show. And she was like, you want me to watch this show about that bald little boy? It looks so boring. And I was like, no. First of all, <laughs> that's a girl. And I was like, second... This show is amazing. And I said, and third, if nothing else, you want to act, you have to see these kids. Like, it's insane how talented they are. And so I made her come into the living room and we sat down and we watched the first episode. And then the next morning, she was like, I didn't get any sleep last night because I stayed up watching the whole show. It was so addictive. Did you feel that energy with the kids and just how, I'm sure you've worked with other children and, and kid actors, but did you have a sense of, wow, like these kids are really bringing something? Well, you know, on set it's hard because I'm not wearing headphones. Okay. You know, I'm at the monitor and I'm looking at their faces, but I'm not necessarily oh, that's interesting. able to hear their performances if I'm not close enough to set. So when you're at the monitor and you're looking at their faces, what kind of things are you looking for? Shiny stuff to powder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like kids, kids are kids. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, do they need sugar scrub for their lips? Do their lips look dry? Or, okay. You know, like... Do they have food on their mouth? You know, like That's funny. That's I cool. love Noah, but he's a little chocolate monster, <laughs> and he always has chocolate. And um, yeah, and there was actually a poster that happened recently. Maybe it was a couple of years ago. I um, I texted Noah, and I was like, "You've got chocolate in the corners of your mouth in that poster." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh." It's funny because probably nobody noticed that but you. Is it strange? You know, you've known these kids since the beginning, and they've just grown so much over the past three seasons. Now they're like mini adults. Well, it's interesting because there's so much time. In between seasons that I guess it's like any other family like you see each other for the holidays or whatever you know so it's like a lot of growing happens in between the seasons and then you get to know them again and fill in the gaps of where they've been and what they've been up to and they're just lovely they really are all of them are so unique you know their personalities are so different but like they're all excellent performers they're really good people you know they, they've got their heads on straight but a lot of them did come from Broadway 
Mm, yeah. So, you know, I, maybe that work ethic and that just professional demeanor comes from just being a child working Broadway. Now, we haven't had any on the show, fingers crossed, but we have had the pleasure to meet them a few times, and they've always been lovely, like very nice, and especially I think we met Millie when she was 12, and she was just standing, waiting for maybe three hours to meet 5,000 people that had lined up, and she just smiled and stepped, you know, took a picture with everyone, and we thought, what a big responsibility to put on someone who's only 12. Right. But she was there with David, just taking it in, greeting everyone, just so lovely, and I thought, she's like a little adult. She's so professional in what she does. And I think that's one of the reasons like for their success too is because the fans that interact with them just are like, what nice, amazing people. They're just like so down to earth. But they're also children and yeah, totally. they do children things. You know what I mean? I mean, they're getting older now, but you know, they have so much energy season two. Are you surprised by how much your work has touched a younger fan base? So earlier today, you guys didn't see this, but Kilby, everyone's favorite mascot who just turned seven was in here and she was had no boundaries and she was just um, hugging Amy and loving on her. <laughs> she was so excited and... I think that that's a big phenomenon is that Stranger Things has such a wide age group. I mean, Kilby's been watching this show since she was four. And I know that we have fans who are like 70 because they DM on, you know, send us DMs on Instagram. Right. How interesting is that for you that you've been able to reach such a wide range of people? It's pretty crazy. You know, um, I didn't realize that people watched it that young, I guess. I think it depends on your scare level. Right, right, right. But we're a film family, so Kilby's like, that's prosthetics. Right, right, right. That's <laughs> so cute. She knows. Yeah, it's just a, it's a strange feeling all in, you know, like, especially like when we had the season three premiere, Ted Sarandos from Netflix gets up there and he's like telling us the numbers of how many people view our show and all these things. And that it hits you in such a weird way of how big the show really is and how many people keep me employed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, each season is very different and I kind of love that about it. And each one has different, you know homages to different things in the, from the past, you know? And yeah. I just love how each season, like people will like argue, like, no, season two was great and season three sucks, and then vice versa. They are and, wrong because every season is excellent. <laughs> and I say, you know, and like a lot of people come up to me and they're like, oh, well, you know, wow, they're doing another season. Shouldn't they just stop by now? And I was like, you know what? I love the show. I'm like, if you don't want to watch the show, don't watch the show. Yeah. I'm guaranteeing you're probably still going to watch it. And you might not like it or you might like it or whatever, but I'm like, there's something about the show that keeps you coming back, you know? Well, something funny is, and I don't even know if our listeners know this, but Tori and I get contacted a lot for things and NPR reached out to us and I did an interview with them right when season three was about to air and I don't think that they use it, but essentially it was, you know, they have people that call you ahead of time before they put you on the air. Right. And the guy was like, hey, so I'm calling you about so-and-so show, which I love, so I'm not going to bring it up. But he said... Um, I'm, I'm just, I don't really like Stranger Things. Like, I've never watched it, and, like, I'm trying to understand this phenomenon. And I was like, what's not to like? Romance, friendship, mystery, adventure, sci-fi. I was like, coming of age. I was like, literally, there's something for everyone, for everyone. And it was just such a weird thing for me because, you know, Tori and I don't geek out about anything. We have friends and family who worked on the Marvel movies, and we're like, Meh. but, like, Stranger Things, we're like, oh. It's perfect. It's encapsulated. It's so wonderful. So it is interesting to me when people say that they don't like it. I feel like they haven't given it a chance right. <laughs> to let it into their soul. Or like people that are, you know, a little bit, I guess, film snobs, you know, and they try and break things down to such a, a level that it's just like the whole show kind of like is whatever. And like somebody on my Facebook, for instance, 
after season two, he did like his thoughts and spoilers and all these things. And he was just like, well, I think this should have happened. I think this should have happened. And I was like, actually, that was supposed to happen. But because, you know. You're so nice. <laughs> well, it was supposed to happen. And, and, you know, things happen when you're writing a show and you just can't fit everything in, you know. And I wrote that and he was just like, oh, my God. I didn't realize that I was friends with somebody from the show. <laughs> and I was like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, you wrote it. You know, it's going to get back to somebody or if not, it's just like whatever. But um, I just thought it was really funny. And now he's just like a little bit more um, specific about what he writes about the show. And I'm like, you don't have to like the show because you know somebody on it. Yeah, and You I, know what I mean? Yeah, It's totally. like, I really don't care. I'm like, I do makeup. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm proud of our show, but like when people start to nitpick things about the show, I'm like, you're talking to a makeup artist. I have no pull whatsoever for how things get written, how things get shot, you know, all of these things. Do I stand by the directors and the other department heads on what their choices are? Absolutely. You don't know what it's like to be an ensemble on a show to this scale, you know? Yeah. And it's like the budget of our show is so small in comparison to other shows that are as big as ours. Yeah. That we're... You know, we're kind of making things work. And I think that's the beauty about our show is it's kind of like a bunch of kids making a play. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we can do it and we do do it, you know, at the same time. It's just like each season gets bigger and we're learning new things as we go. Yeah, I think as a super fan, which of course I am, the world is so magical that you're just so invested and you want to see these characters in the world. You just want to see what they're doing. And so I remember the funniest thing when we watched season two, there was that controversial episode, The Lost Sister. And I watched it the first time and I was so mad because I thought, oh, it's pulled me out. I'm with uh, the gang and what they're doing. And I don't get to see what happens because I have to watch this episode. But then I was talking to my friend Gabby, who was Mick. And oh, I know Gabby. She's yeah. a really good friend of mine. I know. She said it on our podcast. She Yay. was like, Amy's the best. I love her. You should have her on the show. And I was like, oh, dare to dream. <laughs> but she was talking to me. And obviously, I loved it once I went back and I knew what happened from beginning to end. I was like, that's a great episode. But in the moment, I was like, oh, I want to know what's happening. And now I'm in Chicago. And she was like, you know, we make decisions and we're just, it's telling a story. We're trying to tell you a different point of the story. And so she's like, people like it, people hate it. She's like, I'm really proud of what we did. And it's like, totally. It's like, I feel like anything that comes out, people have this need to just aggressively attack it. Right. But I think the true fans are like, we just want to see what the Duffers are going to bring us. People get weird when they feel uncomfortable, you know, and that, that for some reason that episode made people really uncomfortable. And um, I remember somebody on set, one of the crew, saying, I think we got tricked into making a spinoff, a pilot for a spinoff. Good. And I was like, <laughs> well, I mean, that's not, you know, I mean, I guess in some case they could. But, um, but yeah, then it came out, and I'm really proud of it. And I told people that um, it's kind of like a video game, you know, where you have to go on a quest and gather more information in order to keep going and level up. Yeah. You know, and... I kind of feel like that's how that episode was for me, where you get to see a different part, and she has to go on this quest to find out or get, get her power strong enough in order to defeat the gate. You yeah. know, and I feel like it makes sense to me. So what we're going to do is we open up the floor to some fan questions. So I'm going to ask you some fan questions. Here okay. we go. Brooke Ranson wants to know, what is the most exciting part about your job? Hmm. The most exciting part about my job? Well, I mean, hmm. I get to make goose. I get to make mud. I get to smear it all over actors. You get to have body spray paint baker. <laughs> right. Um, I think the best part is like the collaboration between all of the, the creatives, you know, and it's just like this was just a story on paper and we're making it all pop up and come to life. And it's really cool how like the tiniest decision 
creates this character that like a bunch of people are for Halloween now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just crazy, you know, seeing the tiny details that you add to a character as part of somebody's like cosplay. It's just like, oh wow, like people really are watching every detail. And it's really incredible. I, I'm like taken aback by how people are responding to that. Megan SB Makeup says, how do you get the makeup to stay on so long? How do I get it to stay on so long? Just primer, you know, you, you have to prep the skin in a way. <laughs> you do, you have to prep everyone's yeah. skin. I mean, it has to stay on all day and we don't know what elements we're gonna be, you know, in. Like last summer we had, you know, dead of the summer so hot but at the same time we were filming in summer so it was okay for them to be sweaty it's just not over the top you know yeah like a faucet but um yeah you use powder setting spray all that kind of stuff lexi delcourt says how long does it take to do some of the special effects on the show um anywhere from five minutes to five hours oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it depends yeah i mean you can just throw a cut on somebody what about steve's eye um steve's eye let's see i guess he's had multiple steve's eyes yeah he's had three <laughs> steve's eyes Last season, I don't know how long it took Jillian Erickson to apply that every time that he, he was wearing it. Because, I mean, either I was on set or she was on set and I was in the trailer or she was in the trailer. So it's like we barely saw each other last year. I have a question. So that's interesting. You do a lot of the creative design work. So you kind of work with the crew to, or the you know other hair and makeup people to decide how are these people going to look. So one of the questions that I had was I think a lot of fans think that Amy just goes into the makeup chair and she puts makeup on every single person and that's what a head makeup person does, but you don't really have the time for that. So no. how does that process work? So there's a team of us. I am the department head, so I design you know, with the directors and the actors and costume and hair. But then everyone on my team has their actors. Oh, and that's okay. kind of their actors for the show. Oh, that's cool. In a perfect world. Oh, okay. Whereas, because our cast is such a big ensemble cast, everyone has their actors in the beginning, and then once the show gets bigger at the end, we need to, like, shuffle people around a little bit because the storyline might be going this way now, and these two actors might be together, which means this, you know, two-hour makeup on Steve's eye can't be done by the same person who's doing the other actor. It's just, it's not realistic because I want that person to be able to be at the monitor and looking at his prosthetic and making sure it's perfect every setup. So whoever is doing that cannot be doing the other person. So if that person was already doing that person, I'd have to give it to somebody else. I got you. If that makes any sense. So. Yeah, so totally. So you're kind of overseeing everything, but like for instance, Winona is probably your person that you need to I'm be I'm still with. her personal. Even yes. though I'm the department head, I'm still her personal. So if she's on set, I'm on set. So, okay. And that gets tricky because I'm also um, in charge of David and I do Robin and I do all these people. So in the beginning, it's like if all of my actors are kind of divvied up between my team, I might have uh, Natalia in my chair in the beginning of the season because it makes sense for time. Okay. But then towards the end of the season, she's got to sit in somebody else's chair because everything is getting bigger and I don't have time to be on set. That's I'm in the trailer just designing for like the last half. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Unless something's happening with David where he want, he like definitely wants me there or um, if Winona's on set that I, in a perfect world, I don't need to actually be there babysitting any of the actors and I can go off and do the rest of my work. Allison Allgood wants to know, how is doing makeup on Stranger Things different than other TV shows you've worked on? Well, it's period and it's sci-fi. Mm -hmm. So there's that, you know, um, Russian Doll was contemporary and, but not sci-fi, but still like weird, you know. Um, I did Mozart in the Jungle, which was contemporary, just the first season. But the thing about Mozart in the Jungle was it was a giant ensemble cast. Yeah. So that got me prepared for Stranger Things and having an ensemble cast and knowing that I need manpower. I need help with all these faces. And that's what I learned from the first show was 
to come into Stranger Things knowing that, okay, I understand that half of these are kids, but I don't have time to be on set when I need to be designing other things, and I need my right hand to be in the trailer with me designing things, so we need our third, if that makes any sense. Yeah, also I imagine with season three, Kilby and I were extras for a day, because I thought we were gonna be one of the 400, Right. Um, and then we were on set and the Duffers were like, how do you do this? And I was like, oh Lord, I cannot act. <laughs> I don't wanna embarrass myself in front of I them. I could never. But how would you, you know, just being there that day with like 400 extras, I thought, this is insane. There's like 20 women, maybe like three women in wardrobe, just getting them knocked out with these beautiful outfits. There's maybe like, on the day that we were there, I think there was maybe five hair women and five makeup women, and they were just knocking them out. And I everybody think it was looked- probably 10 and 10. Yeah, we were there towards the end, so. Okay, so we probably had let people go by then, but yeah. I mean, we were just with the kids. There was like 10 kids and we were at the kids section. Right. But I just thought this is like such a massive undertaking to get all of these people dressed and they tell you to bring wardrobe, but you don't bring the right stuff. Right, right, right. And they just, it it's, a, it's amazing like how quickly they work. It's really fun though, because I can let my team have a little bit more fun with that kind of stuff, you know, and they can pull up research and stuff, you know, and put that in the background tent and be like, this is kind of my inspiration of what I think should be in the mall. And they can contribute a little bit more than they might be able to in the trailer. Yeah, everyone that we have dealt with on the show or interviewed or talked to or met or anything has just been like the nicest person that you've ever met in your life. And I'm like, that must be a great place to go to work where just everyone is so nice. I mean, obviously you're working and you get stressed and you're tired, but everyone just seems so lovely. That must be a great environment to work in. I love it. Yeah. I mean, you get paid to like hang out with your friends and do makeup. 16 hours a day. <laughs> right. But you know, I'd rather do 16 hours a day than four hours in an office. And then you have this great product that you can look at for the rest of your life as something you created that your mom won't like. Right. <laughs> or that she will She like. actually likes Stranger Things. Of course she does. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> so Noni Harbor wants to know, what is your routine to make Winona Joyce? So Winona, let's say if I was to do Winona's makeup outside of Stranger Things, I would definitely do more around the eyes. That's more Winona. Mm. You know what I mean? She definitely does like a little smoky stuff around her eyes and different lip colors. But for the most part, I use the same products on her as Joyce as I do on her as Winona. Yeah, her skin's flawless. She's gonna be 80 and look 20. She's disgusting, I love her. <laughs> Falevin Be Cute wants to know, who wears wigs? Um, we love your name, Falevin. <laughs> well, awesome, um, but I don't do hair. That's right. <laughs> I think that's something we should clear up too, is that hair and makeup folks, sometimes they work together, but they also work separately. Do you want to explain that a little bit for the younger fans? Um, yeah, so the makeup department deals with faces, fingernails, tattoos, body stuff. Anything skin related is makeup. Eyebrows, facial hair, sideburns are still makeup. Oh, okay. Once you go over the ear and into the hairline, that's hair. Oh, that's um, cool. Every once in a while, there will be a haircut that involves a sideburn that goes with that cut, and I defer to the hair department for that, as long as it's not gonna ruin the facial hair or the look of my character. So we talk about that before it happens. Oh, that's cool. Um, the background Russian soldiers in the last season all had very high sideburns that hair was cutting in background, and I was like, listen guys, I'm like, I love it, I do, but you need to let us know because some people come to, to us first and then go to you and then you cut them and we haven't done makeup where their, their tan lines used to be. Oh yeah. You know, and those kinds of details. So it's just like, I don't care if you're doing it, but everyone needs to match, you know? So it's like, just 
you know, communicating with the other departments, and they were like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, it's not like you did it on purpose. Yeah. You know, none of us would try and screw each other over on purpose. It's just like, let's We're trying let's to make the best think. book we can make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Captain Honeycats wants to know if you could break down Nancy's makeup routine. And I think what they might mean is that in season one, Nancy is kind of very young and she's got very fresh faced. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, by season three, she's a working lady and she's got a little bit more rouge and a little bit more of a gloss. Right. So yeah, she started off very fresh faced. Then we went a little bit smudgier. I guess what I would say is I added a little bit of depth around her lash lines to make her a little bit more uh, kick-ass. Um, you know, she's got the, the bat, the gun, like all these things. Then for the second season, she is a little bit more adult. She's got the shorter haircut. She's, you know, wearing a tiny bit more eyeliner around the edges of her eyes. Um, she's a little bit more in tune with the makeup world, and she's learning a lot from her mom. And then, and then we come to season three where, you know, she's got that working look, and I wanted to give her that I can prove myself professionally in the workforce kind of um, thing, whereas towards the hospital, you know, we start to break down that makeup, and I wanted to have a um, kind of the tear-streaked scream queen mm. kind of look while she's terrified in the hospital, and that kind of goes away, and then she's just got this nice, you know, smoky, smudgy look by the end, and I just feel like she's my favorite transition mm -hmm. of all the characters because we're really watching her grow as a person and as a woman, and um, it's really fun. It really is. Danny Nesbitt says, how does skin prep and foundation work on film? Are actors wearing tons or barely any? I feel like I can't see it. It looks so natural. Um, that's a good question, actually. Skin prep and foundation for film is only different than real life in a sense of, let's say you have a really bad breakout, you're going to need to cover that texture. You're going to need to cover that, the shadows, and, and you manipulate that with highlights and shadows. Generally speaking, less is more, especially with HD. You do add some things to a foundation if it doesn't have the right sheen so that you can have a nice, um, clean skin finish so it's not looking too dry. And then from there, you go to set and you look at the monitor and you're like, okay, well, I know that so-and-so has a blemish on their right cheek. I need to babysit that blemish. And I'm gonna be next to the monitor with the, the director of photography and the gaffer, the three of us, are watching that thing <laughs> like hawks, you know? And yeah. it's like, sometimes I'm like, okay, I gotta go in. And you know, the DP or the, the gaffer are like, is it us? I'm like, no, I think it might be me. But it's hard because people move. So it's like, if you're doing a still shoot, um, it's easier to manipulate things. Whereas if people are moving around, there's shadows that you can't control. Mm. So it's like, I, there's only so much you can do. Texture is, is a big thing because of shadows. Yeah. So you just have to babysit those things or you have to tell the script supervisor, hey, you know, put a note in for the editor. So-and-so has a blemish on their cheek, can't get rid of it. If it's distracting, maybe they'll wipe it. If it's not, they'll keep it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not the end of the day for our like real looking actors to have stuff like that. Yeah. But we don't want it to, to distract or ruin a moment. Yeah, you and I have a friend in common. We were just talking about our friend Cindy, and she was telling me once that she was doing a camera test with someone, and it was when she was first starting out, and so she blended the makeup to look like they should look in person. It looked great. And then when they were on camera, she was like, he looked like a Cheeto. She said his right, right, skin right. color was completely different. Is that something you have to do? You have to use a different... Like, how does that work, using a different foundation maybe for film versus just maybe what you would wear every day out in public? Well, there are certain brands. I think I know what she's talking about. Um, <laughs> there's certain brands of foundation that you should not use on film. Um, 
Oh, that's interesting. It will. You don't lead. have to name those brands. I won't. <laughs> um, but um, I'll, so yeah, I have a friend that does fashion makeup, and she decided to help out on a movie I was doing. And I came to set, and I was like, oh, oh. I'm like, are you using blah, blah, blah? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, you can't use that in film. I didn't even think about telling you. It'll either read orange or green. So, That's so interesting. It's very strange. Yeah. Um, whatever the properties are in them, um, it's very strange. But, but you get to know the products that work well and the ones that don't. And then, you know, when an actor has their, their favorite product, that's what you have camera tests, you know, or you bring a backup to set just in case. Theo Marie 101 says, does being a makeup artist head mean that all of the makeup in the trailer is provided by you? Each artist has their own makeup at their stations. Anything on top of what our, our favorite products are that we want to have at our stations, production will provide us with, or we can ask for product lines to sponsor us. So, yeah. I mean, our, let's just say my, my breakaway kit for when I leave the show and go on to other jobs is about eight bins worth of stuff. I've got 15 bins in storage for Stranger Things. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't need that stuff on every job. Those are specific things that are Stranger Things related, or maybe if another sci-fi thing were to come up, you know, I might need some of that stuff. But I don't need all the baking stuff that we use for goos and, and yeah. edible stuff and fertilizers and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't need all of that baking stuff on another job. It's very specific to yeah. our show that we have like food-related things all the time. So you pretty much have like a kitchen on the go. So talking about the baking stuff, when Mrs. Driscoll is sitting there, we love that actress, by the way, and she's covered in her fertilizer. Is that CGI or do you guys actually, you have to oh, bake that it. and you put, it around her, you put it around her mouth? It's, it's there. I it's remember so good. Um, my good friend Matt is the prop master. And so props is usually in charge of like something like that. Okay. Um, that an actor would eat. Um, we hadn't shot her eating the fertilizer yet. We shot her first in the ambulance being taken away. Okay. So I wanted to make something edible that would match whatever he was gonna be putting in that fertilizer bag. And so I came up with a couple things and texturally I, I figured it out and it was delicious. And <laughs> um, I really wanted to make um, like a Dairy Queen blizzard out of it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so he ended up liking what it looked like. So he just made that and put it in, in the giant thing for her to eat. MBB Cute Angel wants to know, what was your favorite makeup to do? Favorite makeup to do for all three seasons? Wow. I think there's so many looks that you probably like that were fun for a different reason or that you liked for a different reason, but is there one that maybe stands out? I don't even, there's so many characters. Do you do the blood? I do. That's the best. Creating like the different speeds of nose blood was probably my favorite thing to do just because you never know like what moment you need for whatever she's going through. Yeah. So we do have like a slow dripping blood, a medium dripping blood, a quicker dripping blood. That's insane to me. It's so surreal to be talking to you because like that scene is so iconic and you're like, yeah, I make it. I make that blood drip. I mean, I'm not necessarily the, the person that's placing the team. it the team. all the time. But yeah, I mean, we've, we've definitely had some trial and error over the three seasons and come to a really good place with how to make the most out of a nose drip. Yeah. <laughs> So Theo Marie has another question. How long before shooting do you start planning the character's makeup? Kind of like your design process. Mm, it depends upon how early I am told what year we're shooting in. Like, I already know 
like the time period for next season. Oh, cool. So, I mean, we're not shooting it, but I'm already researching it. Yeah. Because it's fun. And I am also going to have um, a lot of new makeup team members this year. So I've started to collect every single look I've ever done for each character to do like a little yearbook cheat sheet for any new team members that come into the trailer so they can see the evolution of every character from the beginning of our show to where we are right now. Do you all try to stick with the same team so that you can have that feeling of consistency? I'm sure a lot of the head people come back, or is it difficult because, you know, people just got to take their jobs where they get them and sometimes they're already booked? Yeah, it's a six to one, half dozen to the other. Some people just don't want to come back. Some people, um, (gasps) how dare they? I mean, it's a difficult show. It is a really difficult show. And, you know, um, it's the crazy hours and just the controlled chaos, I guess you would call it, of um, what Stranger Things is, isn't for everybody. Yeah. You know, and I totally understand that. I think that that's one thing that people that are fans of the show or, you know, there's like kids that want to grow up and be directors or they want to be actors or they want to work on film crews, but they don't really understand that, you know you might be getting up at three in the morning to be on set by 4 a.m. and you're not going to get home until 10.30, but then you still have to be up at 3 a.m. the next day. Yeah. And that's just the nature of the beast and you kind of got to get acclimated to those hours. Yeah, I mean, I think the longest day I did last season was 21 hours. It's insane. It is insane. You know, but it's like we had two units going and I had to be at both of them. Yeah. You know, and then at the end of the second unit, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to bed and I was at a hotel really close to the carnival. I literally get in the bed and I'm about to put the covers on and my phone rings and I have to go back to set. <laughs> I was like, I almost got to sleep. But it is How do you do that? Like, how do you manage self-care? Is it just you kind of psych yourself up for the job and you're like, I know what it's gonna be and then when it's done, that's when I'm gonna take care of myself? Well, I mean, you just get into a rhythm, I think, you know, um, I do do a lot of self-care while I'm filming, actually, you know, I sleep every lunch, I take my lunch naps, you know, it's just, it's, you have to learn how to adapt with the environment that you're putting yourself in. If you've chosen to do this, then you have to figure out, how do I balance everything? And that's what I try and tell the people that, you know, are working under me is, you have to tell me if you're overwhelmed, I'm not going to know, you know, and I think a lot of people forget that towards the end, and they're like, they're getting really overwhelmed and stressed out and, and they forgot that communication is key and just tell me and we can figure out manpower and all those kinds of things. Yeah. But um, as, you know, I'm a glutton for punishment. I am a different kind of person. Like, I don't mind putting my, my whole into it. Yeah. Um, I was at a panel recently and I think it was a key grip. It was that focusing on women in film. And she said that, you know, she spends most of her time walking around the set saying to people, stay hydrated, use sunscreen, get sleep. And she's like, and by the time I leave, she was like, I have a sunburn, I'm exhausted, and I'm dehydrated. Right. So it's kind of like, that's, if you're someone who's interested in film and you want to work on a show, and also, you know, you're not, I think Randy said this best when someone asked him, you don't just work on Stranger Things. Like, he and Kat worked for years in order to get on Stranger Things. Right, right, right. But it's not like they're going to be doing Stranger Things for the rest of their life. So if you want to act, you have to be malleable and willing to work on other projects, and hopefully you'll get a Stranger Things. But you can't just have a passion for, like, well, I want to be in film, but only on Stranger Things. Right, right, right. That's not practical. I have to work with Finn. (laughs) That's what we get a lot of. That's amazing. Aw, Finn. Millie Finn Noah wants to know, who's the most fun to hang out with in the makeup chair? Hmm, in the makeup chair. Well, I mean... According to your Instagram, it looks like everyone is fun. I mean, everyone's pretty much... Everyone's so different in my makeup chair, and that's what makes it so fun, and that's why I love what I do, is because there's a different personality in my chair all the time, and I'm 
I think I'm becoming more well-rounded of a human because of all these different people that sit in my chair. The different music that they listen to, totally. the jokes that they tell, the stories that they tell. It's just really fun. It's just a like really fun environment. Sarah, 1999, what is one of the hardest things about being a makeup head? I think we just talked about it, everything. All the responsibility, the lack of sleep. Right, I mean, it, I, mean I think the hardest thing is to um, maintain a, hap a happy team, I guess. You know, try and make sure everyone's happy and that's never gonna be the case. Like, you can't control that, you really can't. But like, I mean, I guess that's my biggest hope is to have a happy team. Um, make sure that everything's getting done and everyone can have fun while it's getting done. Olivia Kaufman wants to know, how important is it to make the makeup department a comfortable place on set? I mean, it's very important because the actors are starting their day there, they're ending their day there. They, they trust us, you know, so it's, you're creating the energy for their day, you know, and so you have to read the room and you have to really know, like, where they're at, like, is this a bad day for them, a good day for them, like, just kind of gauging that and trying to facilitate that, because, like, at the end of the day, it's... We want to make sure that they are their character by the time they get to set and that all their personal stuff is kind of like dissipated. Right, because they're all talented and they all come to the set prepared, but you know, putting on that makeup, getting into that wardrobe, putting that hair on, that lends to their experience. So your area is like the first, one of the first places that they go. So that makes total sense. Jay Konopa, Joe, I'm sorry. I don't know how to say that. Do you prefer actors, actresses who are chatty or who are quiet? They all have their moments. They I think really it depends do. on the time of day, right? Right, or like you in know, hour one, it's probably sure chatty, but by hour twenty-one, you're like, guys. I mean, they really only talk to you when you're in the chair, you know. I mean, like, yeah, in between setups and everything, like, you know, it happens, but I mean, nothing to the extent of like, oh my god, I wish this person would be quiet right now. Yeah, and also they're not in your chair for like the whole twenty-one hours. You probably get them for like an hour or two, and then it switches to the next person, and it's a different feel, a different conversation, a different yeah. environment. And then when you're on set, it's just like you know, you're. It's basically. I want to say like really small like recess you know like you see you see a setup and you see the way that the scene played out and it's really fun and then you know they set up for the next shot and so it's little tiny increments so you definitely have breaks 311 zero eleven wants to know who do you think changed the most over the years i mean that depends like makeup wise it's definitely nancy but like the kids have just grown up right in front of us that they're all taller than me now the only one that's not is uh priya oh yeah when I went to the premiere, I was like, where's Priya? I want to make sure that she's not taller than me. Yeah, we, um, we talked to Priya. Priya was on the show when she was just 11, and it's the cutest interview ever because she's just... She's the best. Like, we were like, Priya, what is it like when people come up to you? And she was like, I don't know. I'm just Priya. Like, she just, she's so, she's just continuing the level-headedness of the kids. Right. She's so down to earth. She's the best. Oh, we love her. We were so excited when she showed up in season three. I think our whole living room was just like, oh, my God. She's was, pretty incredible. Like, they all are. And it's just, like, really cool. Like, when you look back at season one, how tiny they were. They used to be so tiny. And now they're, like, ah, oh, they're little, like, little adult humans. And yeah, they're little people. Yeah. They're little people, guys. So Jacqueline Lehman wants to know, I would love to know what steps to take to work in TV and film. And there's a union, right? There is a union. So, yeah, the, the steps would be, I mean, learn makeup, learn people skills, and start, you know, working on smaller projects and building up some experience and you need to get your hours to get to be union. So like, I feel like, you know, some people get grandfathered into being in the union and, some, and, and, and they're actually talented and get grandfathered in and there's people that get grandfathered in and um, aren't ready. And it's a shame because they're excited to be union but they're not ready for it yet and it shows. So like doing the time I think is better 
to put those hours in and earn it. And, and people will, I think, respond a little bit better that you're, you're capable. Now, do you want to explain what a union is? Some people may not know. A lot of people will work on indie projects or they'll go on Craigslist where it says, we're shooting this movie and you're not going to get any money, but you'll get the experience. And sometimes it's okay to do those things because you're learning and you're working with other people that are interested in film and it's creative. And But you can't do that forever. You do have to buy groceries at some point. So right. what is a union for people that don't know? The union is a, a protection for our workforce. So it's basically making sure that we get our standard rates, food every six hours, you know, like just like the studios have to provide us with these things for our safety and for our um, financially. We get turnaround, which means at the end of the day, they're not allowed to bring us in until it's been nine hours since we left Mm -hmm. or 10 hours on some things. You know what I mean? So it's like providing us with a safer work environment. And generally, there's a union for every area. So there might be a camera union. There might be a, I don't know, my brain's lacking. But there's a different union specific to the craft that you want to do. And generally, to get in that union, you have to have a certain number of hours. And so I imagine that's true with makeup as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did, I think it's 180 hours. No, that can't be. 180 days. <laughs> 180 days within three years, I think. Paid. It has to be paid. So you have to be able to show that you have a, a paycheck for that. You have to show that you have a call sheet for that. And you have to show that you have a credit for that. So those three things. And so you have to start collecting all of those things and making sure that you have hard copies of all of it in case the internet somehow goes away. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, you have to be very determined. But you also have to know your worth, you know? So it's like, let's say something's asking you to work for free. Well, if I need, if I'm passionate about the job and I'm like, okay, well, you know, I need something like this on my resume for sure. I don't need the money, so maybe, you know, if they're not planning on paying anyone, then they're not not planning on paying anyone. So it's up to you to know your own worth. Um, I did a movie for free two two years ago, just with some friends in Dallas. It's called A Ghost Story. It's beautiful, you know, but I was only there for two weeks. So it's like, they flew me down, paid me for my, you know, time, like, as far as like, like food and lodging, you know, and then gave me a point on the back end and now I'm making money off of it. I think you make a good point with being social. A lot of people won't get work because they're super talented, but they just have a negative attitude and you can't be around someone for 21 hours that's negative. And also dependability. If someone books you and they ask you to be on a shoot, you've got to be on that shoot. You can't say, I worked 21 hours yesterday. It's going to be like, we all worked 21 hours yesterday. And that's the thing as a day player, people that come in and out of each job, they need to book time Time management is very important, and um, you need to know the boundaries. So let's say if somebody's working on a different show yesterday, and they come in on my show, and maybe they worked until 3 a.m., and our call's at 6, now you're doing my job a disservice, because you're going to be too tired to really give it your all. Or let's say I book you, and it's an overnight, and you have a call at like 3 a.m. the next morning on a different job. Well, you have to tell me that you're going to a job the next day super early so that I can cut you early because I'm not gonna keep you as one of the late people if I know you have to be somewhere else at 3 a.m. You just have to learn communication, time management, like, you know, having good social skills, not being negative. I do know a couple artists that used to be super negative and now they've turned around and they're so great, you know, or like not showing up. You know, I had somebody, season one, we did the the bald cap on the little girl on- um, Oh, David Starter? Mm-hmm. Sarah? Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. when she had cancer. And so it's like the person that was supposed to show up just didn't. You know, and I'm like, um, OK, 
hey, you're not getting hired for me again, and I'm sure you're talented, but it's just like you really put me in a bind. So, you know, I'm like now the person that I had tethered to this one child actor to put a bald cap on isn't going to be there, so now I'm losing my key makeup artist to go do that. And then it turns out that the, the little actress wasn't, I think she was supposed to be nine, but she was like six or seven, which is a huge difference for putting bald cap, you know, like, like it doesn't fit, and she's squirmy, and... It's just like a lot to ask of a, of a kid to sit there for that long. So, I mean, we did it. It looked okay. And then, you know, things happen. But So it's know your craft, be willing to be flexible, be positive, have a good energy, and be reliable. If you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. And also, you should probably live in a city that functions for these kind of things. I mean, you need to live in L.A., you need to live in New York, you need to live in Atlanta, you need to live in... I don't know where the big city is now. Chicago, North Carolina I mean, used to be one. I you know, I guess some of the, yeah, maybe Chicago. Chicago has some TV shows now. Or, you know, there's commercial cities, you know, yeah. like Minneapolis does a lot of commercials. A lot of cities probably have an avenue to try and get started before you're old enough to maybe move to one of those big cities is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know, get your feet wet, you know, make some mistakes, learn before you get on something bigger, and that's why those tiny, like, no-pay jobs really make sense, is because it's like, if you're gonna make a mistake, do it on a student film. I've heard that there's a difference in beauty schools. So there's cosmetology school, which offers one thing, but there are specific schools that are geared more towards your craft. Like, if there's a kid out there, and a kid is like, I wanna grow up, and I wanna be like Amy, and work on a million different shows, where should they go to school? Like, what should they study? I know a lot of things are done, like, on set, but right, before right, right. that. I mean, I mean, it's, entirely up to who you are. Some people don't go to school and they, you know, become an apprentice for somebody. You know, they reach out and they, or they know somebody and they're like, oh, I want to do what you do. And they slowly learn. Like, a friend of mine had a daughter who really was into makeup and so I would send her projects to do. And I'm like, okay, this is your next makeup project and I can't wait for you to send it to me. And I taught her how to do you know, continuity, I'm like, anything, any makeup that you're putting on your mom, you have to write down so that you can replicate it, you know, all these things. Oh, it's nice. But yeah, I mean, cosmetology school, I mean, I went to cosmetology school, but I did that for a different reason. I did that because I wanted to learn both hair and makeup. Mm -hmm. Not that I want to do hair, but it did help me in the indie circuit by being able to do both. Not only that, but I was the only white person, so I got to learn how to do weave and braids and all those kinds of things that allow you to understand how to temporarily put things in people's hair. But yeah, like esthetician school and makeup cosmetology school um, are one avenue for learning skin and makeup. And I feel like it's really beneficial to know skin in our field. It's not a must because you can send someone to a dermatologist. You can send them to another esthetician, you know, yeah. all these things. But the more you know, the more you have to offer, you know, and the more, yeah, I guess the more you have to offer, the more people are going to respond to you as a well, more well-rounded artist. And so... There are those, you know, schools that teach you, you know, highlight and shadow and blush and eyeliner and all that kind of stuff. And then if you want to learn wounds, they'll teach you wounds. But, like, there's so many specialty schools out there. You just need to feel, like, basically you need to figure out what your end game is and then what, which of those schools suits your needs the best, you know? Because some people don't want to do film and they want to do fashion. Yeah. You know, and it's completely different. So you just need to know what your real goals are. And and even if you think you want to do film and you get on a set and you realize you don't like the dynamic, there's other ways to do makeup. You know, commercials are a little bit easier, more money. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. Yeah. But you have to know or try out a lot of things to know what you don't want. I think this question will let you answer something that you probably get asked 
quite often. Lauren M. Makeup says, how do you apply to be a makeup artist for Netflix? Lauren, well, there is no such thing as a makeup artist for Netflix. There's Everyone's an independent contractor. So each, I guess, project is a different production company, is a different studio, is a different everything. So it's like, I might get brought on to a project from an actor. I might get brought on a project from a writer or a director or a producer. It's all different. So it's about people skills and it's about cultivating and surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded, I guess. Those people are your tribe. You know, there's a lot of movies that I started saying no to because I didn't like the way I was being treated. And I didn't like the way the outcome of the projects were even, you know? And so I was like, okay, this is not my, this is not my path. So I started saying no to those people and saying yes to other people. And it ends up that all of the indie directors that I love to work with are all friends with each other. Of course they are. I love to be around them. I love the content of what they produce and what they create. I'm like, this is my tribe. I found them, you know, and it's just, it's really great. Like even when I was doing Russian Doll, you know, Natasha's friends with like most of the directors that I work with on the indie circuit. So it's just, it makes sense. Yeah. And you know when your path starts to make sense. So it's like, even if I don't get a job and another artist does, that makes sense to me because if I don't fit what their needs are for that job description, then yeah, the other artists should be doing it. You know what I mean? There's enough work out there for all of us. I don't need every single job. And it's like, yeah, you know. I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier where you need to live in a city where productions are being filmed. I mean, we live in Atlanta, which is where this podcast is based, you guys know. And there's just, there's so many productions happening right now that they're always looking for someone. So I think if you were interested in doing makeup and you were able to get your foot in the door at one place and then you did what Amy talked about earlier, you were dependent and you showed up, you had a good attitude. By word of mouth, that's how you'll get your next project because someone will be shooting a different TV show and they'll say, oh, you remember so-and-so from whatever? Give that person a call. So that's kind of how that works in the industry. You're not actually working for Netflix. You're kind of, you're freelancing, but it's not super scary to get work as long as you're good at your craft and you build connections with people. You, you know, you'll get those calls. Is that right. correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there's no such thing as working for Netflix. Work at Netflix. But makeup artists don't work at Netflix. People that are fans of your Instagram know that you are known for your beautiful pink, sometimes blue hair, and your many tattoos. I know that you get tattoos based on different shows or different things that people have said to you or just things that you like. Is, are, do you have any Stranger Things related tattoos that are specific? I don't. I don't have any work related tattoos, I don't think. Do I thought I? you had one for Christopher Walken. Didn't he say something to oh, you once? Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I have uh, wind blows, hair moves on my feet. Um, <laughs> I got that in Kentucky when I was filming because why not? I feel like you need to have a 011. You got to have a number. You know, we, uh, Millie and I were talking about that. I was like, I don't know. You don't um, have the space. I don't, well, I don't have, I mean, where it would go, it won't fit. But um, but yeah, I was going to get a fly on my hand for um, the Her Smell movie I did with um, Elizabeth Moss. So for fans out there that are fans of yours and they want to know what kind of things you're into right now, do you have any music or books or? I'm a reader, but I, so I was a bookworm growing up and that's why I'm kind of in love with what I do is because I'm kind of making things from paper come to life. That being said, I don't have time, let me rephrase, I don't make time to um, read novels anymore. I just, I don't have the attention span. I guess, yeah. to read novels anymore, but I do like short essays. So David Sedaris, uh, my friend John Hodgman has some short essay books, Jacqueline Novak, yeah, just, I mean, 
I know Jackie too, so, but, um, but yeah, short essays are my thing. Um, music, I'm kind of like The Clash, The Ramones, you know, like yeah. simple punk. The classics. You know, um, rockabilly, psychabilly, it's just. That's funny, when I saw you, I was thinking Reverend Horton Heat. I was like, I feel like. What's funny is I that's don't. her aesthetic. I actually don't like Reverend Horton <gasps> what? Heat. What? I know. I'm shocked. Know. Shame on me, shame on me. But like the cramps, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I recently started watching TV, so I got like a streaming platform yeah. um, at home with a projector. And um, fancy. What's a show that you like? Um, Atypical. I just I just went through. Okay. That was really really good. Then I mean I'm a sucker for just chick things like A Good Place or The New Girl or stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been watching a lot of really good shows lately, and I've just been. I mean, I finally got to watch Thirty Rock. I finally got to watch Parks and Rec. Like, all these shows that people have been You're talking about. You're like, guys, about. I have to talk to you about Parks and Rec. And they're like, whoa, whoa. let me go back and rewatch. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I'm just like, all these shows that people used to talk about in my chair, I finally got to see. Well, it's cool that you have some downtime that you can, like, relax and take care of yourself. And I've just... taken most of this year off, so I'm just like. Is there a show that, that you didn't work on that when you watch it, you wish that you might have worked on it? Not like you want to be on it, but just like. That, that seems like that would have been a cool show to work on. Well, like Marvelous and Mrs. Maisel, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, just like things that have really fun makeups in it. The Crown, like, ugh, Glow. Oh, you yeah. Know? I mean, they're just so fun, you know? I mean, and, you know, Gail Rankin on Glow was in um, Her Smell that um, oh, cool. Elizabeth Moss was. So just start to know people in shows, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so happy for them. <laughs> Look at all my friends doing good things. That is cool. It's interesting um, because we're like in a film community. Like when we were just talking today, I was like, oh, you know, Cindy, like you just, you meet people and you just all have been working in the craft for so long. And you know, it's like, yeah. you know, I know that episode wasn't, you know, everyone's favorite, but like some of my best friends came out of the episode, you know, James that played the Mohawk, you know, yeah. um, Axel, um, and You know, it's so funny with him, not to cut you off. I do that sometimes. I'm sorry. Oh, but fine. like I was watching Super 8 and- He's in was, it. I know. Yeah. I know. Okay. So I knew that the Duffers were influenced by it, but I was watching it and I was like, that cop looks like- the guy, Axel, from The Lost Sister. And I was like, no, that's stupid. And then I like, I looked it up and I went back and I was like, oh my God, that's totally him. And I thought that was just serendipitous because I know that the Duffers really liked, um, I think, Kyle Lambert, the poster artist for Super right. 8. I don't know how much influence they have, but he had done that. And so, connections. And that's also, I think, a really cool thing about um, our show is all the fan art has been incredible to see and how many different variations of like. You go on like Redbubble or whatever, and there's just like pfft, Stranger Things, everything. And, yeah. And you know, there's an artist that did um, a Russian doll poster that I fell in love with, and I contacted him, and I was like, "Hey, can can I buy that?" And he goes, "Well, it's not for sale." I'm like, "Oh, I still." I'm like, "But I worked on it." <laughs> and so he was like, oh, "Okay," you know. And so he he sent me that, and he also did these um these like cassettes, like these retro cassettes of each episode for season two of Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, it's just like, the art is just so cool. And it's like, it's not, I don't have like Stranger Things posters in my house. I have art that other people have made about our show in my house because yeah. I just think it's so cool. Yeah, it's totally cool. Sometimes we'll have fans, I'll show you right now. Listeners, you won't see this, but we had a fan who drew this of Kilby because she loved Dart so much. And oh, she was it's very, so cute. She was very sad when Dart met his demise. But like so people much. were drawing me and I was just like, what? I'm like, this is insane. I'm like, that's weird. Yeah, you're really popular in the fandom. Like, I think your Instagram page is, it kind of gives a look into what fans want to see. Like, you're like, well, here's just a picture of pop marks on Gabby's face um, to make Mick look a little bit more grungy. Or here is Steve wearing this ridiculous 
you know, wig or something like that. And I think that that's really cool because if you're a fan of the show, those are the kinds of things you want to see, the behind the scenes moments. Or like, I think that um, Amy Paris posted a picture of Steve with the old hoy hat, but like when it wasn't a sailor hat, when it was like a little blue, yeah. I don't even know what you call it. Something that, that didn't get approved. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a process that we go through. And so what you guys are seeing on the, on the screen is it's taken a lot of work to get there and we fine tune things throughout. And it is interesting to see what's been taken away. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast yeah, today. thanks for having me. I love you. We're best friends now. Can you tell people that don't know, I'm sure they already know, how they can follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm at, at Amy L. Forsyth on Instagram, and I believe that's the only social media I have. Thanks again so much for being on the podcast. I can't wait to see what you do in season four, and God, I hope season five, but who knows, guys? Let's just be thankful for what we have right now. So thanks again. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Stay strange, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Upside Down Podcast hosted by Sisters Ash and Tori. For more information, visit our website at theupsidedownpod.com. You can also contact us at theupsidedownpod at gmail.com as well as follow us on our Facebook and Instagram under the Upside Down Podcast. Episodes are released every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe. If you love the podcast, be sure to review us on whatever you listen to us on. Thanks again. Stay strange. Hey, Kilby. Hi. You just got to meet Amy Forsythe, the Stranger Things head makeup artist. What was that like? Fun. Did you like her? Yes. Was she awesome? Yeah. She's pretty. She's pretty? Yeah. <laughs>